We're back with you at um, Inspire Passionate Lives. Mm-hmm. Good Hi. evening, folks. Good evening. Hopefully you're joining us this evening and you've come back to us. We've got a fun night. Um, do you want to tell us a little we bit sure about, do. Yeah, about what we have <coughs> in store for our listeners tonight? So we thought because we've named our show Budja Dreaming, which obviously means talking about country and connecting to country, we thought we'd touch on some of those uh, issues around, you know, the really strong connections that we have as Aboriginal people and, you know, share with our listeners this evening to talk about some of those things and how people can come and learn how to connect country like we do so um, you're gonna gonna learn so much tonight LJ. I am so excited and I feel like this is such a really fun topic and essential topic um you know as an immigrant who's come to Australia I've always wondered how to connect with the land more and like North America I know many of the native plants and I've studied a little bit about the properties and their uses for medicinal purposes and edibles and I love that's a big part of um yeah something that I love doing and connecting with the land there but here I have to say I'm just don't have a lot of awareness yeah, I, I haven't really found the time, so I'm so excited to learn about that. I know that's like your big thing. Oh, um, no, I was just going to say yeah. this is where your journey begins as well. And um, we were talking last week that you'd met us a few weeks before that at an event that we were running that actually shared throughout the evening a little bit about the strong connection and country. And we did like a bit of a quiz and we asked people questions, yeah. you know, about the 1967 referendum and just these really critical things that had happened to mm-hmm. our people here. So... Um, which is a pretty, you know, a similarity that's around across the globe with all Indigenous peoples. So you'll probably find that, you know, as we start to to share some of this, these things tonight. So, um, you know, I've put some resources in, some books. We're going to talk about them. Of course, it's Jilba season, which is one of the Noongar six seasons. So we'll Amazing. talk a little bit more into that. I know we touched on it last week. Um, yeah, so it's very exciting to be here for our second week. So um, just bear with us, guys. We are <laughs> we are newbies here and trying to work out this radio station. But um, hopefully you bear with us and um, come and hit us up on Facebook if you'd like a request this evening. Absolutely. <clears throat> right now we're going to go to cut to a track. This is Gondola We Dance by the Yabu Band. Your voice. Your community station. You are listening to IPL Radio. And we're back. Kaya, everyone, you are here listening to IPL Radio. You're on the show, Budja Dreaming, with myself, LJ, and my lovely co-hosts, Sandra and Marissa. Welcome. Uh, Tonight, we're going to have an enlightening conversation. We're going to be talking about the season of Julba. And Marissa is very well acquainted with this topic and also the plants and the seasonal flowers. Can you tell us a little bit about the significance of Juba in your in your culture? Oh, sure, LJ. It is probably one of my most popular subjects that I go out and teach people through my business, Bindi Bindi Dreaming. And I guess that's what we wanted to do is tee that out a little bit more on this show so people can get a bit of a grasp of, um, you know, what what the Noongar seasons are, 
um, here in Noongar country, they only exist. They don't exist anywhere else around Australia. So different Aboriginal groups have their own seasons. So one of the sites that you can actually find out about the other Aboriginal groups and their seasons is actually the Bureau of Meteorology. And you can just type in Indigenous calendars and it'll come up with, you know, the Larrakia mob and, you know, what their seasons are. It'll come with one of the East Coast ones. I think there's probably about eight other Aboriginal groups that are on that website that you can learn about the six seasons. So, um, you know, there was some elders and community members that work quite closely with the Bureau of Meteorology here because when I started to study about it, we were one of the first that was listed on that website. So... Oh, We're wow. kind of ahead of the game in, you know, our six seasons being explored here and, and talked about because I used to work for conservation and land management some time ago and it was one of our things that we had to go out and teach the kids, mm. you know, how do you, when you're out there, what season is it? Um, so it's a kind of um, soothing people over from the Western view and coming to where you are in the space of being on Noongar country to what exists here so we started to teach the kids about the Noongar six seasons and look it's just gathered momentum there's so many of us Aboriginal businesses Aboriginal elders community leaders sharing this and like you'll see it everywhere now there's panels up at Kings Park Uncle Richard Wally and his family helped with those Um, they're at schools so schools are starting to do the six seasons you know in poles or paintings on the wall um like some corporates and, you know, um, organisations have got the seasons somewhere in their, their rooms are named after the seasons. Yes, local councils. So it's, it's wow. you know, a hot topic that's getting out there and the more you see it, the more you'll just connect straight to it like we do. Like it's, you know, water off a duck's back that we can start talking about Jilber and we know and understand what we're looking for when we're out on country. So... We're going to give you just a little bit of a snapshot of kind of what Jilba feels and, and what to look for while you're out there. Cause a it's lot of flowers. Certainly right. Jilba mm, now, eh? Magpie season. Oh, I know. Magpie <laughs> season. And snake season. And snake uh, yeah. season. Yep, yeah. for Remember, sure. Remember, leave them alone. They'll leave you alone. That's mm. right. That's a really key message. Tell your dog that to too. enjoy the sun. Um, is it wildflower season? It's sure. Uh, no, next no, one. We've next got a couple one. out now, yep. but this is not known as the wildflower season. Because I've noticed there were some bright flowers today when we were driving around. Yeah. There is some. They're, they're just a, a couple. Mm. And then actually cambering, which is the next season. Okay. Yeah. I was, okay. So okay. tell us a little bit about Jilba, Sam. Um, well, as I said, flowers, uh, snake season, mm. magpie season. What significance would Juba have had to your ancestors? So I understand that, you know, um, Aboriginal people were very nomadic and they yes. would go from place to place and they were guided somewhat by the seasons changing, which makes sense in that. So what would they have been? What would the significance Activities, maybe where yeah, we were. Yeah, food. What so I always say around Jilba, we're mm. actually coming out of Makaroo, which is out of the winter time. So we're now heading back down to the coast. So we're actually passing a lake system, and that's what Sam was saying. The snakes are around, the lizards, the mm. turtles, the goannas. So they're actually all a source of food for us as well. Yep. But then you've got the lake system itself. You've got... River Lake? Ducks. Ducks. Um, swans. Swans. 
Fishies. Turtles, fish. Turtles. Yeah. And a lot of the reeds that are found around the lake systems were a source of food. They were our protein. Wow. So you're chewing on those right. and you're keeping your body um, refreshed all the time. Right. And it's not raining. It's starting to get, you know, that nice hot sun warm on your skin, which you feel already. But then there's still that cool breeze. So it's, you know, it hasn't quite got to the hot season just yet. It's still trying to warm up and break through, you know. You probably notice that now. Like even today it yeah, was like 20, yeah. hot on your su- skin, but still that bitterly cold breeze. Yeah. So you're, you're kind of coming down from the, the, the hills. Yeah, wow. Um. And for anyone who's not in Western Australia, it does get pretty hot here, maybe a couple of seasons away still yet. Excuse me, but I can imagine that there might be some, would there have been some preparation for the heat and for the waters drying up? Because at least in winter, you have the cold, but you waters, it rained, well, this year it's rained almost every day here in Perth where we are. So... Would that be something that would be um, intentional as far as the movements go and preparing for the the sun coming, the hot sun, for drying sure. things up? Well, you yeah. kind of know country from the back of your hand because, you know, yeah, it's yeah. the same walking, you know, route where you're going. You're never going out of that, that group because you had other clan groups around you. So you always kind of stayed all together in the group and travelled together as well. Mm. So... Um. Yeah, they just they knew where the waterways were. They knew yeah, how to get water. Yeah, yeah. Um. You know, you're following the animals as well because they're a big sign of moving country, and you're following the animals to eat them. <laughs> so you mm. know what I mean. So yeah. it's kind of everyone's living in harmony together, and um, so the animals would be moving too. That's also right. Migrating. So that's right. It, it almost would seem then that that's a very natural thing to do, especially in these environs, like yep. to. Follow the water, follow the food. That's right. And, and then we're following to see what they do because what we'll do is on one of these programs, we'll also – or one of these weeks of the programs, we'll talk about totems and how we interacted as if that animal or that waterway or that flower was our totem as well. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a really powerful thing to know. And we're doing workshops around that to teach people about totems and, you know, if they – have a strong affinity to an animal and the animal's doing things or interacting, you know, snakes are doing things and turtles are doing things and frogs are doing things and <laughs> magpies are doing things. So magpies it's about... doing a lot of things. <laughs> it's about observing what those animals are doing because they're your messages as well. Oh, my gosh. So I that's think the I totemic stuff that, yeah, that makes amazing. you connect to country because it's your role and responsibility on how you take care of country to take care of your animals, which is your totem. Wow, that's really incredible. I had a, I saved a rat's life yesterday and it was quite a profound oh. experience and I thought, this little guy is my totem. But I'll, yeah, maybe that's another story for another day. But anyway. Um, well, you need to have a look at what rats yeah, kind of mean yeah, and delve into it. They're very intelligent. They're Could very be. affectionate yep. and they can survive anywhere on anything. So I took that. I'll I, be a key I message for you. took it to heart. But that's really interesting, though, and it's consistent, too, with Native American culture, which I have some familiarity with, and and potentially a lot of other Native cultures that just had this connection with land, Mm. connection with the animals, that they weren't disconnected as sort of we've come to be in our world today so much, and so, yeah. Well, there's different Mm. teachings. Our teachings are different to what the Western would be teaching their kids Mm. or, you know, their values and their beliefs, so, you know, um, and because of the stolen generation, a lot of that 
kind of lay dormant in the community. So now we're going back to talk to the elders and the strong community leaders that encourage us now to learn back our culture and, you know, keep it for generations and then teach that younger generation. Because, you know, we've got younger generation below us, our nieces and nephews, and, you know, it's important for us as role models to keep that going as well. Um, 100%. I mean, this is not stuff that's foreign to us. I mean, we are, you know, we are nature. Nature is in us all, really. And so I, I think it's somewhere embedded in the collective consciousness, embedded in the muscle memory or the bio memory memory or the bioenergy um maybe just waiting for the right moments to emerge and so that's what's so amazing about yeah just sort of tapping into um the local land there's, and there's knowledge and, and lo- yeah that's there's right. messages all of the time if we're just able to listen and connect with that yeah yeah and look i think people are coming because of that they're also soul searching for something mm-hmm. to connect them mm-hmm. and their meaning in life as well and so once you kind of get on that track and that journey you know it you are self-guided it it does it for you so that's that's why people are coming I mean you saw that room fill with a hundred people that evening they didn't have a clue what was going on but you know the information we gave made them tweak and you know we've just been having messages every week from people that resonated with the information that you know, far out, I don't know enough about that, you know. I didn't know the 1967. I didn't know, you know, Deborah Malman was an Aboriginal actress. Like it's, you know, all this stuff it's is... It's about awareness, is, isn't it? Yeah, that's it's it. It's like, and there's so many ways that information can reach us. We can go yep. to a Bush Tucker event and that's we can right. get a bit of an education or we can go for a walk in the bush. I know. And get a bit Signs of an education. Signs are there, you know, like we yeah. leave our cultural footprint now for you guys as well so yeah yeah, yeah. such an honor it also just says here i just want to make mention season of conception so this is all about ah, our little babies and that's right yeah and and this actually was the time that you were teaching your babies you know the connection to country as well mm. while you're walking hey there's a lake system there's the ducks there's the frogs there's the snakes they're all a source of food how do we catch them yeah, how do we right. cook them you know because there were special techniques that, you know, catching that food and eating that. We might come back and talk a little bit about what how we used to eat that oh, food. That's so exciting. And just, just a little um, tidbit for our North American viewers, if we have any Canadians or North Americans here among us. So we're sort of on the, we're in the opposite hemisphere. Um, so our spring is going to be your autumn. Um, essentially, we're sort of going, we don't just have four seasons as we do in Western culture. We're talking about the six different Noongar seasons. Um, and as Marissa was saying, that varies from culture to culture and mob to mob. So yep. um, we're specifically focusing on the, the Noongar tradition today. So. Right, so we'll come back with a bit more information about Jubar and what it means, and I will play a song for you now. Um, by the way, what you would have heard if if you would like to download some tracks is "Solid Rock" by Goanna. Goanna, yeah, one of our faves. Let's see, who did we have? It's the toe tapping, that? doesn't it? It does, indeed. and one of our other favorite bands, mm. Yabu Band. Yay! We heard Gondola We Dance before that. Girls just want to have fun by Cindy Lauper, of course, and we kicked it off with "I Will Survive" by Gloria Gaynor. So, without further ado, we're going to go to "Numbi Midair" by Phil Wallis. Your voice, your community station. You are listening to. IPL Radio.
And we're back on IPL Radio. This is Buja Dreaming. And I'm here with my lovely co-hosts, Marissa and Sandra. And we're talking about the Noongar season of Juba tonight. And I'm going to pass the mic over to my co-host and hopefully we'll be getting a really solid education. Um, I've already learned so much. Um, As we've talked about, there are seasons that are unique to to each different culture. And so we're learning um, specifically about the Noongar tradition and culture here tonight and the connection to land. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the foods that would be available, some of the edible plants that would be um, seasonably available here in Western Australia at this time? For sure. So, we're coming off the hills and we're making our way past our lake system. So, we know lake systems are full of food, especially for our mob. Mm. Um, You know, the fish and... A lot of the root systems, a lot of the tubers, we've got some of the wattle seeds starting to come out. So they would get their fish and then the paperback that's grown around the lake systems, that would be like a package or they would wrap the fish up like an alfoil and then cook that on the coals. So a lot of the paperback leaves as well has got that nice lemony scent and that flavour to it so that actually put a few of those and then wrap the fish up and then um, cook it on the coals Um, and then you would eat alongside some of those roots and tubers that you actually collected around the lake system as well. So you want to talk about damper Sam because that's kind of like a staple in our in our like groups today we eat damper we eat damper like bread. Mm. Well I noticed uh, one of my aunties the other day she made a damper but she put pizza toppings on it. Oh, I'd so I've seen that. So right. She made wow. with, um, We're getting flesh. So she flattened it out and she must have just put pizza toppings on it. So I was surprised. So, you, so this confirms that you can put cheese on anything, apparently. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> to revisit I, our old conversation from earlier. <laughs> I remember um, one night me and Drew were having hamburgers and I forgot to get the buns. Oh, yeah. So I thought instead of doing that, I made um, two small dampers. Wow. And, and I measured them out right, so they've matched the. So we had um, damper burgers. Wow! Mm. So they're very versatile. So it works. Yeah, so just, it is just like bread. So damper yeah, yep. for us is our traditional bread. Yeah, right. um, and that's why I'm saying the wattle seeds are out. So they were crushed into a fine powder and then made oh. into a, you know, a nice little cake, dampery, bready kind of thing. And um, the wattle seed could go in coffee as well. What? Really? Yeah. So I think some places they do sell Wattlesey coffee. They do. Oh, yep. Amazing. Yeah, so you've got that variety as well. Yeah. And, and Wattlesey's just like coffee or chocolate. It isn't smells it? like coffee. It's a little yeah. bit, just a little bit. Mm. Not a lot, but a little bit. Um, I'm, s- I'm hoping one day maybe maybe the Bush Tucker Cafe will be a thing. Oh, so coming. I, I, we've, yeah. we've had attempts of it, haven't we? So Dale Tilbrook okay, okay. had a little. Bush Cafe at Yagen Square when it was open. So when Yagen Square opened, Dale was selling a lot of her products and she was doing kangaroo pies, Ah, emu pies. Amazing. Um, Lemon... Uh, lemon melting, lemon myrtle melting moments. Amazing. Wow. Quandong tarts. Yes, shortbread. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I made kangaroo pies today. 
I know they were amazing. I was hold biting my tongue waiting for someone to mention the kangaroo pies. Um, Sandra makes the best, and um, honestly, like that was the best meal I've had all week. Um, oh, nice! Shock full of kangaroo. It had it a was. special gravy sauce in there with what bush tucker spice, bush spices, bush spices in mm. gravy. And so, so mouth watering. So yes, yum. I will definitely hold out for the the cafe to open and. And I'm sure it'll be amazing <laughs> if it ever happens. Well, so we're kind of bringing yeah. back a lot of those old foods that we used to, what our forefathers before us used to eat and forage off country. And now we're getting a little bit more <laughs> flasher up. Um, we were making pizza with dampers. And, and we're getting, and there's a lot of jams as well that you can buy. Yeah. Mm, and true. sauces like um, bush tomato. That's oh, yeah, relishes yeah, and yeah, things. Right. So instead of like if you're having a hamburger, instead of putting like normal tomato sauce in. Put um, uh, bush, bush tomatoes on it. Tomatoes, yeah. And you know, there's this huge movement to eat local, to eat seasonal. Yeah. I mean, this all fits in with climate change, which we're going to be touching on a little bit later because there's a lot of crossover. I mean, for sure. Yeah, we make we sometimes make things so complicated when in in actual fact, there's they they can be so simple as well too. A lot of these foods that we're talking about are just right outside your back door. Yep, right? and they're easy to cook. Yeah. Yes. Do you want to share your damper recipe? Um. Flour, okay. water. Yeah. And good arms. Good That's arms. it, isn't it? It's <laughs> so needy. simple. Good arms. Yeah. But I, I find if it's, a, if it's not, if it's still a bit wet, mm. that makes sense. To me, I think that makes a better one. Okay. Like the dough, the consistency. Yeah, yeah so I was going to say, okay. what do you put Some yeah. people do Drips need of it water or really something. really smooth and, uh-huh. but I, I like it a little bit. I don't know. Doughy, you mean. Yeah. But what's uh. the ratio roughly? Is it two to one, one to two? Now you ask and follows that don't measure. I don't you measure. Know that. <laughs> okay, I, I, I don't follow measure when I cook. That's uh, what I'm saying. Okay, okay. Sorry, so you I get it. Measure. So get it to a consistency. We've watched the old people just go a yeah, handful right. of that pancake yeah. pancake batter consistency. Yes. Is that what we're talking about here? No, no, no more. Bit, bring it back. Bit bring more. it back. Okay, thicky okay. doughy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So like bread dough between bread dough and Co- yep, pancake yeah, that's batter. It. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because mum never measured either. So no one did. None of our forefathers did. See, now that's it's powers of observation yeah. and watching the old people. And yeah, then you get wow. someone to taste it and you go, well, and they go, salt. And you go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or they go, no, just a little bit more of this, but I don't measure. But you would use oil, wouldn't you, to like of some kind to grease your skillet, wouldn't you? We call it a skillet where I'm from down south. Well, dampers are traditionally cooked <laughs> on the coals. Oh, under wow. the s- So you Unless do the whole – Johnny cakes. You do the oh. coals, you put the sand on top, and then that's hot. Yeah, right. So the damper forms a crust so it doesn't I get dirty or anything and you just pat it and then the sand falls off. You, oh, wow. It's like mm. your biscuits. Yeah, yeah, biscuits yeah. in the south. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, thank you for knowing what that is. Yeah. I know we know biscuits. I, I went to America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, for those of you who are in America, biscuits to many Australians like are like yes, scon- <laughs> yeah. are like um cookies. What we would call as cookies, they're calling biscuits. So, yeah. but you, so you guys a difference, you know, not Yeah. Like, they're biscuits and gravy, and you think... I know. You yeah. know? And for our Australian uh, audience, yes, they're much more like scones. Um, yeah. But they're very simple. Basically, you, they're they're flour, water, and I think yeah. bacon, bacon powder, really. Yeah. Well, I bought mm. one of those Popeye's meals, mm-hmm. and it came with a biscuit. Yep. And I'm like, what's a biscuit? 
And when I opened it, it was just like a roll, but they were calling it a biscuit. <laughs> it was like a bread roll, but they called it a biscuit. And they laughed at us when we used, can we say have some chips? Yeah, and they, yeah, you've got to yeah, say fries. Yeah, so yeah, they gave yeah. us a packet of chips physically, not oh like hot gosh. chippies. And we're like, where's the hot chippies? And they're like, oh, no, we call them fries. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. We call so them you chips. said that everything is a little bit different. Even in Australia, <laughs> like there's different yeah. names of Exactly. <laughs> but everybody in Australia really should know at least what damper, damper is. Damper is, exactly. Because I know that, that was adapted too. Um, I, I honestly didn't realise that that was um, an Aboriginal food initially. I thought that was white fella like <laughs> um, working out in the country or, you know, whatever. Just mixing, no. you know, going for something simple, not having much else. Okay, wow. Mm. So, uh, and I, I imagine too um, in... You know, your ancestors might have done some grinding or something, their own flour, like taking, you know, not necessarily wheat flour, but maybe I know where I'm from, uh, the native people would use acorn flour. They would have to process acorns or they would use other, you know, plants and things like that to grind a meal to then use for this kind of a thing. So, Well, we did have grasses, which also provided the seed to grind to make bread as well. So it just depends on where you are in country. I know a lot of the East Coast mob did the grasses. Yeah. Um, but a lot of our mob over here, wattle seeds and then through the top end as well. And they are different wattle seed. Um, varieties. Yeah, varieties. So we've got like the red-eyed wattle here and the, the mob up north have a different wattle. But most wattle seeds you can grind into a fine powder and then make the damper. And the, the grasses um, certainly on the East Coast made, you know, a nice damper over that side too. Yeah, so it's all coming back, all of those old tradition, traditional ways of how we used to make things. And, um, you know, they're getting infused into, like, you might walk into a shop and I think it's um, a bread roll is starting to have wattle seed in it now. So they're starting to put our herbs and spices in yeah, everyday foods here. So yeah, it's amazing. It's coming back, you know, so our had, knowledge. Um, yeah, before right. I went to Coles and they had um, cookies with Davidson plum jam oh, in it. Yeah. Did they? Yeah, they were really good. Mm. So it's, it's just looking and reading what what you're buying as well. Yeah, because there is and try it. Do try it because you're supporting our community. Because obviously yes. they're the yeah. ones telling whoever is making them or they're infusing. You know what I mean? They're getting the knowledge yeah. from our people, our community. So and they're going in drinks as well. Oh yes, drinks with your lemon myrtle drinks, Davidson plum drinks as well. Yep. Yeah, so from a sustainability standpoint, um, obviously there are, you know, we haven't talked much about foraging, but um, obviously there are concerns with over-harvesting, but I don't think that those are really great concerns. I don't know. Um, I know that uh, we talked a little bit on the last uh, show about, like, your grandfather. Was it it your grandfather? Yeah, picking the Kwandong seeds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and then he got pulled up for it and got fined for it, and he only really just grubbed enough to make jam, you know, for yeah, his wife to take it right. home. And um, and that was the good thing. I think our people knew how to access country in the right way, yes. like not over-foraging yes. and, you know, a few of those Kwandong trees would still have seeds on them to reproduce for the next season. So you yes. leave them on there for the fire, then the rain, then they're produ- producing again a nice big forage for us the next year. So, you know, we didn't overfish. We didn't overkill kangaroos. Like there was always enough 
for the next generation or the next time you came round to that season. It was flourished with food. It's just how we right, worked. Right. Mm. Yeah, so I, I can imagine too that, you know, we've talked about the sustainability aspect, the environmental aspect with local um, foods that are grown out your back door essentially, but it's also a health thing, isn't it? Like Big how, time. How much of our health is really related to this processed food, this, you know, this food that really not isn't even meant to be in our bodies? And, I know. And so what did, what did the idea of food mean to our ancestors, your ancestors particularly, compared to the way that we think of food now? It's funny you talk about that because yesterday we did a session down at Bunnings and we were um, talking to people about the bush tucker species and the, the plants. And one of my things that I always say is our people were fit and healthy people and we were the fittest on this planet. Wow. Until, you know, we got Western food and all of these processed things, which is actually now turning the other coin and it's making us very sick. Yes. So it's about even we wow. have to get back to what we know best and what's better for our DNA. Mm-hmm. And it is foraging and, you know, going back to the old ways and trying to, you know, we we may never be able to be that health and fit again because we're now a lifestyle where we just live in a house for 12 years. We're not walking, you know. Our lifestyle was a walking lifestyle. Yes. Because that's, like you said before, it was nomadic. We walked from season to season and worked out, you know, the foods in each of the seasons were suitable for our body, you know, then. Mm. So if we could kind of take a leaf out of what, what we know or what we knew then to implement in our life today, mm. you know, a lot of these d- diseases we can counteract and they can disappear. There's a beautiful Absolutely. program up north, if everyone is listening on Facebook, called Bush Walk Cooking. Oh, wow. And what they've done is they went back to the community and they said, right, because there was so much high blood sugar levels, so much heart disease, so much diabetes. And they said, right, well, this is not good for you. We're not giving you the right food. So Bushwalk Cooking actually said, go out, go get your food, whether it be snakes, goannas, whatever, bring it back, you cook it how you want to. So if you look at snakes and goannas and all these other foods, they actually have an oil content in it that is good for your body as well. Wow. Which is the medicine and things like that. So that's what was lacking from our community because they'd been eating all this processed stuff. So they found over, I think it was 12 weeks they did this program and they walked every day, they cooked fresh on their coals because they forgot, well, they were removed from doing that. So then they said, no, you need to do what you were doing you know, for your body. So 12 weeks down, a lot of the diabetes disappeared. They started to walk. Oh. They started to lose weight. The kids were getting, you know, really nice hair and just, you know, the body changes over time. So we know the evidence is there. We just need to go back and do it. So I wonder. It was amazing. I mean, Bushwalk cooking. Yeah, Bushwalk cooking. Please def- follow them, yeah. support them, see what they do. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely an intriguing point to think about um, how nature sort of provides what we need when we need it. I have a friend, For sure. a dear friend of mine who feeds, God love him, but he feeds the magpies mince, mince meat. And I. Everybody I, does. A lot of people do it, but, you know, apparently it's not good their, for them. their babies get this rubber neck because they need the. And the their beaks start turning. Yeah, they're yeah. Ca- the calcium chlor- it's chlorate, not good for I think it is. So. Um, I, I did actually source some powder, um, source, um, 
bulk foods, but to mix with the meat so that they could have that. But I mean, it's just one example of how nature provides everything that we need. When we become dependent on things that our bodies don't need, whether we're plant, animal, you know, person, it's just going to inevitably lead to ill health down the road. For so, sure. Yep. A lot of, lot of content here with, with Juba and yeah. the local food. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot in terms of medicinals too. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So let's cut to some tracks now and we'll come back and have a bit of a yarn again. Um, this is a song that we all just wanted to check out. Um, Wintertime. Your voice. Your community station. You are listening to IPL Radio. So we're back, everybody. Hey. After that little break. How you girls going? Not too bad. Sorry. Doing good. We are good. Just getting a really good education tonight about um, the land and the people here, um, the ancestral lineage of the Noongar people. And I wanted to ask you a question, especially for our listeners who don't know. What does Noongar Bujar mean? Well, it's good that you asked, LJ, because that's why we do what we do um, as a business. And it's actually why I created my business, because so many people that live local here don't know enough about our people. And, you know, we've been silenced for a long time to continue to share. So it's actually one of our most... It's probably the first and foremost thing that I do with my business is teach people about Noongar country, Noongar Buja. So, Noongar is actually the collective term of the Aboriginal people in the southwest of Western Australia. Yep. And, of course, when you move through country, then you're going to, you know, come across other different Aboriginal groups. So, I just noticed on the footy show or the, f- the football that they refer to Nam now, which is the local name for the Melbourne Aboriginal people. or the, I, th- I think it's the, n- the name for, the, for Melbourne in the Aboriginal terminology. So, we call Perth Borloo. Oh wow! And they call them they call Melbourne Nam. So um, interesting. You know, you st- you'll start to hear that now, and the language um, coming to the forefront. And there's also, as we spoke last week, Narelda Jacobs, who's on Channel Ten, yeah. who says Kaya, and then she says the latest Aboriginal terminology on what country she is over there. So I don't know if you noticed Narelda on Channel Ten, yeah, yeah. but she says Kaya before she starts reading. So um, mm. there is a d- there is a difference between the Aboriginal groups all around Australia. And it's good to know that um, and understand that because I think people tend to plonk us all in the same box and think that we can all speak each other's language, you know, and and understand, you know, and we have differences in our dancing, we have differences in our art, so... Um, you know, do a bit of research, have yeah. a bit of a yarn yep. out there to Aboriginal communities and find out yourself a little bit more. So you're definitely on Noongar Buja here in um, Borloo, um and, and further south, um, and we're actually on the clan group of the Wajak, which is around oh. the Perth metropolitan area. So they stem down to about Mandra, back up t- north to about Yanship, and then out towards York and Northam, and then you'll have the next Aboriginal group, you know, click in um, as well. So there's different – so there's about 14 different clan groups in Noongar country. Okay. So – Right. Yeah. Okay. So is, is Wajak sp- – so – so when we talk about Noongar country or Noongar Buja, yep, are we talking about a culture or a place or it's a the both? Collect- collective term for the people yeah. and um, 
that country as well. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting because... There's a few maps and things out yeah. there that you can do a bit of research and go online. I'm always posting up on my Facebook page to try and share that knowledge with everyone. I go into schools and teach this. I go to childcare centres. I go to corporates. We're out there, you know, teaching people just the basic, simple terminology of people here in, you know, Western Australia and around Perth area. Yeah, along those lines, I think it's it would be good to have a little bit of a vocabulary lesson as well too. So yeah. what, you know, because I know where I'm from, um, again, not knowing much about Aboriginal culture and tradition, but um, our Native American people also have many different, um, we, we say tribes. So yep. um, they could be the Cherokee or the Chickasaw, mm. or, you know, so, so many rich cultures. Um, there as well too and many people say Indians but that's an offensive term to them is they're right. not really Indians so yeah. but here I think the rules of the language are a little bit different so what if we want to not offend anyone what do Aboriginal people like being called and not like you know wh- what's the proper way to address um, our neighbours and our and I guess that's another yeah. thing that you hit the nail on the head with is like if you get better at understanding and, and working with our community, you ask the local people how they'd like to be addressed too because when mm. you get f- out of Perth, you know, the mobs up north want to relate to their country, yep. you know, um, of their – so that's what I'm saying. We're Wajuk in the Perth metro area. So if you go to, say, Geraldton, they've got Yamaji and then when you go a bit further up, you've got Broome, but then you've got, um, you know, the smaller groups that connect right into that country. So you've got, um, oh, what's in the Broome mob? So Jaru, Badi, you know, that's mm-hmm. their clan groups, a couple of the groups up there. So it's always just, you know, you just ask. That's yeah. your best policy yeah, at the right. end of the day. Don't try and assume, don't try and guess, mm-hmm. just ask. Um, and there's always a, like a land council or an Aboriginal group organisation that's in that community. So you just reach out to them and rock up. And actually, we did that before we got to this show. We went to Babangar Maya, yeah. which is one of the local Aboriginal organisations here, and just walked in, had a yarn to them, didn't we? And we said, hey, we're going to be, you know, a part of this program. Mm-hmm. We'd love to know what you guys do so you can come on the show and help promote what the local things are. So we did the right thing. We came down, we had a yarn. Um you know, because we're not from down here, obviously around this area, we know a lot, but, you know, it's always nice to reach out to locals that are here, that know the issues, you know, direct here. So yep. that's what we did. We went and said hello to the girls and they were very excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think they want to have a bit of a yarn in a couple of weeks. Plus they won an award this year. They came in. Oh, actually, yes. From the NADOC Awards, they came in second. Runner-up. Yes. Runner up. For, I think, community services. Yes. Yay, Babangar Maya. Oh, amazing. So that was something we learned as well. And we're like, wow, down in this little Rockingham town, this little yes. organisation that sits under the South Coast, South Coastal, oh, South Coastal, oh gosh, see, we're just learning too because <laughs> we only <laughs> just walked in the other day. Um, but to know that, you know, oh, yeah. they were yep. recipients of a runner-up award for NADOC this year. So That's amazing. It's awesome. That's that's great. And finding out what the girls do and just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And because it's based on, you know, we the mental health issues and stuff with this radio station brings, they're an organisation that reaches out to our mob in the community and they're there, you know. So we'd love to bring the girls in around what the programs they deliver that can help our mob, you know, Especially down here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
because it's in their area. That's fantastic. So again, they were very excited to go, wow, like this is another way we can actually um, share what we do and get people in as well. So they've got a childcare centre there and it's just a great little setup. So, you know, it's right here in town, everyone. You're in Rockingham, you're in Durbonara. Durbonara? Yeah. LJ? This is amazing. The budget down here. Cool. Uh, I'm always learning something with you guys. You are, That's aren't brilliant. You? Yeah. Um, I'm going to train you up to be a Noongar, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in training. <laughs> Honorary. Training um, with an American <laughs> accent. <laughs> <laughs> so I think my takeaway from um, some of our conversations, especially after the first show, is that certain words that, um, you know, might. Um, be politically correct in the United States when we're talking about um, people um, that are native from there, we would say native, we would say indigenous, those might not be the politically correct terms to use here in Australia that would be preferred because that might trigger memories of, of what people were called um, under our government policy. Yeah, you know, under government, yeah. po- th- those kinds of things almost, and it makes kind of sense if you think about it, like um, we talk about plants or, you know, something else as, you know, being native or indigenous. So those words really aren't really um, very well appreciated by everyone. And maybe better to use the word Aboriginal or First Nations. What other, or Noongar, of course, if you yep. know the, the clan. Um, That's it. Just bring so it more closer to what they'd like to relate themselves to. Mm, mm. And there's still, you know, um, a lot of the oldies that grew up with that a lot of that old terminology too like native and aborigines and mm. and and some of the elders don't like that either because it brings them back to remembering that government policy as well so that's yeah. what i'm saying just always yep. ask yep. um and what's really good is actually reconciliation action plans because they've been working with uh-huh. local aboriginal people to get the terminology right in their reconciliation action plan so awesome. we actually did a bit of a sticky beak too didn't we sam yep. and we rocked up to the local local Rockingham Council to ask if they had an Aboriginal officer. Amazing. They certainly do. We're going to hopefully get him on the show in a few weeks. Fantastic. And they've got a reconciliation action plan. So um, I'd love to tee that out and see, you know, the the sorts of things that Rockingham have implemented in working with him uh, down here in the local area. So um, we can get hold of that online as well. Brilliant. Um, But we'd love to get him on the show. So Very cool. Very, yeah, very cool. So there's all sorts of things happening in in the smallest ways, isn't it? That mm-hmm. you know the way that we're continuing to share, even though you might. I always say to people, if you're not in our space, you don't know what's happening. That's so right. So if you come and you sit and you be and you enjoy some of those workshops and you know just to get to learn a little bit more about us, then you know your journey will start with us too. You'll get better at understanding who we are and all of that negative stuff that you might know might help change your perspective of wow okay that's what happened and that's you know and a lot of those learnings I think are from your forefathers you know because they didn't know any better yeah you know they yeah. knew all of that negative stuff so it filters down through the kids and you've got to try and I think make your own mind up on what and where you want to take your kids into the future so you know we do a lot of um, we have a lot of people that come on that are negative at the beginning hey yeah, and then by the end of it, their perspectives change. Is they want right? to. They want to learn more. They want to better understand why that happened. So why would someone who is sort of negatively geared that way even, even? It depends why they come out. Yeah. Like some of them might be because of their workplace. Yeah. That they come out or something to do. Maybe they want to learn. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so a lot of the a lot of the groups that we deal with are corporates or um, oh, organisations that do cross cultural awareness training. So they come out on country, and they do come with their negative point of views. We have a lot of. Right. I'm not saying this is really bad, but a lot of South African people that have come out have been very arrogant and ignorant to understanding our ways and. Actually, we've fed them, we've taken them through the journey. And at the end of it, they've gone, oh, wow, like, we had no idea. Like, they feel compassionate after and, you know, we have a really good conversation with them. Remember that time when we took them to while younger and, you know, they were very standoffish because they don't know anything and, you know, it's new to them. So then you just see their whole persona at the beginning where they're quite, you know, staunch and arrogant and sometimes they're talking over us and things and it's like, well, why do you want to be here? And I'll stop them and say, like, if you're going to be talking, there's no point you listening and coming here. Yeah, good on you. So, you know, like, have a feel for us that we're out here to share with you, you know, something that you might not know anything. So we want you to participate. I would love it. And they just turn their whole persona like that and then they just join in, they eat the food. And we've had... All sorts of people. We have yeah. different cultures. Uh, different cultures. And we've, we've, we've sat back and we've asked questions. Yeah. And, and mm. they've shared their culture with us and yeah. at the same time. And so that's yeah. it. It's about finding out about each other and where you've come from. Because obviously South Africa, with the apartheid and everything, you know, they're still holding that and bringing that too. Whereas right, the right, apartheid right. actually came from Australia. So we're going, do your research, wow. people, and find out about that. I think sometimes learning about this stuff, sometimes the more you know, the more you become responsible for, or it might trigger, sometimes people don't like to have feelings that are maybe not good feelings, right? Like that make them Mm. sad or upset or, you know, diminish their idea of the world in some way that they need to sort of continue to have uh, mental health. So they think okay, maybe that happened to you, but what does that have to do with me, me you know? We've, we have and, and had, we've had them. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, we've I had think, them. yeah, just, just to sort of like, I guess I'm trying to sort of empathise or understand yes. that mentality a little bit because, um, but either way, I think it's it's fantastic that um, that, that, that even attend and that you, that you have that kind of impression that they're able to be sort of, you know, because we can talk about things like food or culture, or there can be segues into these kinds of conversations that we can connect on those grounds, and then That's maybe right. the trust can build, and yep. we can see we're not that different. That's right. You know, we're part of. Uh, you know, we're, we're humans, and we're having that experience. We we have trauma in our past. We have things, trials and tribulations that we all go through, um, regardless. So to find the common ground, I really think. It could be such a great challenge, but it's also one of those things that it's really so simple at the same time. That's right. Isn't yep. it? Yep. And we mm. don't we, – we're not there to make people feel guilty nah. about what's happened. Like that's – we don't ever put that back onto people, but we just expose, you know, what's happened to our mob and just mm. to get people to feel and understand that because it is a hard road to heal from that and yeah. that trauma. Like our mob is still healing from a lot of that stuff and that's what I'm saying. We're not here to share this and say, you know, you, your mob did that, you know, the, the Westerners did that. We're not there to yeah. point the finger. We're there to go through it together, understand it better and then, you know, go forward with a shared path. That's, that's right. That's what that's we right. want to do. You can't share parts of your cultural history. You can't share your cultural history with and exclude, you know, chunks that affect the way that things are now it's like you have to accept 
the whole thing. You yep. have to accept yep. that this is part the of traumatic the traumatic stuff the as truth. well as the yeah, yep, that's because right. Because that would have affected your journey. That would have uh, affected what you know. Why you're not, you know, perhaps. Um, living the the cultural traditions um, as as fully as you did, there was a, a lot of yep. deliberate, um, you know, uh, government and systemic efforts against that, and you that's part of the story. So, you know, who wants to read a story that doesn't have a, you know, a plot or suspense or <laughs> it's it's that's part it. of the whole big picture, and that's why it's important. Um, yeah, so I would love it if you guys could talk to a lot of people. Be surprised to find out that I'm actually working mining, and um, I go and I fly down every two weeks um, to the gold fields and uh, Leonora. I don't know if either of you've ever been to Leonora, but there are a lot of um, uh, well, you'd be culture. a minority. Yeah, <laughs> <to Leonora>. absolutely. <laughs> and um, I know that there's some active groups working in in Leonora with land rights and that kind of yep. thing, as it is in the gold field. So I'm really, I would love to get um, an interview with someone who is working on stuff like that. So we'll see what we can we get sure set can. up. We know some connections amazing, out that way. Amazing, amazing. That would be great. So, but I, I would, I remember like speaking to somebody that I work with. Uh, actually, he's from England. And he was saying that he did a cultural, what do they call it, a history sort of a um, uh, tour, and um, with an elder um, in the Noongar culture, and was they were just walking around on country, just sh- pointing out these sites where he played when he was a young boy, and now they're these big gaping mining pits, mm. and so that really affected you know, my coworker in a very deep way. Yeah. And um, so he's sharing that with me. And I just thought, wow, this is really important to have this cultural exchange. But you don't see a cultural exchange too much in Leonora. You see um, you see a divide there. And it, I yeah. guess it's a little bit understandable. And um, as my bosses, well, my bosses have told me, it's necessary. It's not just understandable. It's essential that we, you know, so there's a lot of... Um, uh, distance and separation yeah. um, in those communities, you can really see it. Um, and so bridging those Very gaps fragmented is, is a as challenge. well. Yep. Yeah. And to bring yeah. bring yeah. that awareness to a lot of those communities is, and that's what I'm saying, the the building of the bricks very, very slow and very yeah. sensitive too. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of those mining companies are on Aboriginal lands. Exactly. And they did not get permission. They just... Yep, we're going to wow. put a mine there. We're going to dig country. And when you start messing around with country and digging up stuff, you you start playing with the spirituality and the sense of place. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of our community are, you know, pretty shattered and fragmented in that sense because they're seeing their land getting diminished. And they're not yeah. reaping from yeah. it, you know. No. They've just kind of a little bit of pocket money here and there to say, yeah, thank you for letting us dig your country. But we didn't give you permission yes. in the first place. Yes. So I there's really a lot of anger um, as well. So let's explore this topic. Let's really flesh this out on one of the shows because yeah, on, a, for on sure. a personal level, I really want um, I really want to do that, and um, so we can set up some interviews and have that conversation for sure. And I think the other positive yeah. side is actually talking to Aboriginal people that are working in those industries. That's it to see what their point of view is and wow. how they're actually working with the community to help and get them to reap the benefits because be there is yeah. a flip side to it. Yeah, yeah. So thanks for listening, everyone. Gonna play some Christina. Your voice, your community station. You are listening to IPL Radio.
Marissa. We That's sure are. Hello, everyone. Front of you. Sorry? So you've got a couple of books in front of I you. I do. Right? I'm a bit of a bookworm, Sam. You know that. And you've probably seen my collection. So I thought another way to kind of get everyone educated in knowing a little bit about our culture is actually reading some resources that are there because a lot of our elders are now starting to, um, you know, share their stories and capture a lot of that. But um, this one I actually – I don't know if I can remember this one. I don't know if my mum bought it ahead of time or we found it in an op shop. But this one – is called A Sort of Place Like Home and um, it's actually all the stories put together from, you know, those Aboriginal people that were put into the Moor River Native Settlement. So here, if you didn't know, LJ, a lot of our people were taken away when they were young, placed into missions or Native Settlements and then, you know, stayed there. They were trained up to be, you know... Um, maternity nurses and things like that so they helped in the hospitals um low some of them on the farms jobs right yeah so they were trained up to do western duties basically so um yeah this book kind of touches on some of the stories of some of those aboriginal elders that were taken away when they were little fellas and then you know some of their stories shared in here and um you know there's a picture of The chief protector, A.O. Neville, which he was not liked at all. So Neville the devil, they say, right? That's right, yeah. Neville the devil. So he um, was given the role to oversee, you know, a lot of the, the missions and things like that back in the day. So um, there's a great song I love um, called Mr. Neville that Gina Williams um, often sings and it's about, you know, that's the capturing, you know, him. A... Mr. Neville, and it's just yeah, it just mm, resonates, yeah, I've and heard that. Yeah. you know that's kind of when she sings that song. It, um, you know, even though it's not my story, but it was my nan's story. You know, she was taken away when she was young, and her brothers and sisters. So, like, I can get a feel of what it was through Gina singing that song and what he was about. You know, wow. Um, but this is a really great resource. Um, and a book. I don't know if you can get it anymore. Sort of a place like home. Maybe Google it. See if there's any copies still around. Susan Mossart, is it? Oh, sorry, yes. Is that pronounced correctly? Mossart, yes. Okay, sort of a place is like home. the author, so. Wow. Well, obviously, she must have captured everyone's, like, quotes and things like that, so. Wow, it looks um, terrific. So, she did she yeah, look at interviews. these old photos. Is this, like, a biography? And there's, like, then? quotes and everything in there, too, yeah. Mm. So she must have, you know, they must have gone through the records to get a lot of this stuff and, you know, there's reference to Jack Davis in here and um, one of my nans, Olive Hart. Wow. So that was my nan's sister. Right. So she's in there. So she looks like she did interviews, just went around and did interviews and put it all together. With yeah, so that yeah. She, they've actually named who was in there, so... Wow. I won't say too many names because a lot of those people have passed on now. Sure. So, um, yep. But that's an, uh, a kind of another way to learn about what happened in those days. If You know, this has been captured in these books so you can L- pick incredible. it up and have a bit of a look, look-see as well. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, even, you know, it says here the treatment of the natives in the Moor River Settlement. So it tells you, you know, Mr Neville's role and, you know what he did. So he was the chief protector of Aborigines. Remember I was saying that terminology, a lot of our people mm. still use it because that was back in the days, but some yes. some of our mob, it gets triggered off, you know, that That's Aborigines right. terminology. Mm. So, um, 
but yeah, like it's like it's not a book that's gonna, you know. It probably will send you in tears by just list, uh, you know, reading some of these excerpts that are in the book as well. So, you know, you'll get a really good feel of what, you know, our Aboriginal people, you know, what happened to them at the missions and things like that. How, how they were trained up to do whatever they needed to do. So a lot of the boys with the farming and the shearing, and then they went out to a lot of the the farmlands around the place as well. Wow, that looks to go like shearing and farming. Just yep. a lot of first-hand accounts just flipping through, um, really, really valuable resource. So if you guys can get your hands on it, sort of a place like home, Susan Mossard. Wow. And remembering the Moore River Native Settlement. And that reminds me of, um, I, I watched the movie Rabbit Proof Fence, which oh, is yeah. on the same, yeah. It talks you got around to it? I sure did. What, what were your thoughts on it? Well, it's it's the same topic. It talks about um, Mr. Neville and yep. his role. And for however many years, 30 or 40 years, I don't know, until his retirement mm. was considered as, ironically, the protector of um, Aboriginal people in Western Australia. And by that, um, I guess it meant that he was responsible for taking children from their homes. It was based on very, very racist um, kind of thinking, um, taking... Well, he was allowed to because yeah. of the policy that was made to do that. Right. So he had this thing that he waved around to the community to say, well, I'm allowed to take your children. Sorry, it's, folks. It's like he fundamentally believed that he was doing, doing people good. a favour. I know. And, um, you know, whether he thought that or not, I don't know. But surely that was his justification. But, of course, the story uh, portrays the lives of three girls. Yeah. Two were sisters. And I found out it was a true story. Yep. And the other one was a cousin. Yeah. And they um, were, you know, it shows them happily with their their mother, their grandmother, their... On country. On country. In their domain, doing what they do best. And then Molly, he thought that yeah. that was not a good thing for our people. He just thought, why yeah. would people sit on the ground with no clothes, no shoes? So we're going to dress them up. We're going to get mm. them educated. Yeah, they're they're out um, hunting goanna, and Molly is so happy when she brings that, and they're all cooking it and sharing that, and um, then they go to town for just to get rations, um, and they're rounded up. Apparently, uh, the youngest one is particularly sought after. Uh, maybe her skin was a bit lighter yep. than the other two, but all three girls were taken from their home, and. The, they were made to conform. So they were put into a settlement where they were meant to learn these kinds of things. So so very yeah. similar to this Domesticated book. duties, a yeah, lot of them. So, it. you know, making beds, washing, um, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So they were trained up to do that. So when they went to the farmlands to work with the farmers' wives, they were already domesticated, you know, Almost had a clean, like you know. servants. They were raised to sort of be, if yeah, you will, sort of much. like servants, really. Servants to the wives, so the farmers' low, wives. Low paid, yeah, um, kind of Well, jobs. not even paid. It was rations, like you said. It yeah. was like tea, coffee, wow. flour, sugar. And it, if you look at it, that's the four things that are the killers to our community. Yeah, wow, Already kick-started right. it back in Jeez. the 40s, 50s, 60s, that they gave us these four things that kill our people that weren't God. of health value. So just completely having their culture sort of – they weren't allowed to speak their, their language. They weren't no. allowed to practice their culture. Um, they would get had lashed. to learn English. They, would, they had to learn English. They had to go to this, the church. They had to learn, um, 
you know, they had to, or they would get beaten, they would get punished, and um, then they, yeah, they would get sort of go to these families and work these low jobs and get, be subject to any number of inhumane conditions. Um, so these girls, anyway, this uh, in the story, um, uh, the, in the, in the That's movie. That's a lot of people's stories, but yeah, I'd yeah. love to hear Sandra because yeah. it was a different flip side for her. Is that right? Gram- grandma, your grandma, your mum, your mum's mum. Mm. Whereas, or was it your grandma? Uh, you're only just telling me two weeks ago about how we used to pick them up from the missions, didn't you? Is that what you said the other week? No, no, no. When Sorry, you share your story because it was it's different to what. Mm. Well, see, we, uh, yeah, I was actually in a mission when I was little, and um, we lived just outside of town where the mm. the mission was. We lived just down the road from there, and I don't know why we we're in there. That that's because this was nineteen seventy six, and um, my grandparents used to come to the mission and come and see us. Or if they didn't come to the mission to visit us, they used to come to the school and visit us. Yeah, right. So they they used to come like to school and have lunch with us at uh, during the day. Really? Yeah. So that's very special because, yeah, like, yeah. the other flip side with Rabbit Proof Fence, you weren't allowed to see no. your grandparents. These are different. You were told that your parents, parents had yeah. died. Yeah. You know, but yeah. for Sandra's story, yeah, Pop used it was to amazing. Walk, walk from from in town. At Rollins and just come and visit us and then. But were you taken forcibly from your family? Yeah. Wow. I just didn't even realise that was happening as recently as Sandra. I don't want to say your age on the on the radio, mind. but uh, well, you don't mind? She's 100. <laughs> but so I, I knew that this happened, right? I knew that this happened in the early 1900s when we're talking about with the rabbit-proof fence. But no, it still happened. I think it's still, Rollins was still rolling me. in the 80s. Wow. Yeah, that it still shocking. went through to... This is shocking. Not too long ago. You're kidding me. Well, that's wow. what I'm saying. People don't wow. actually fathom that this is still... Yeah. It's kind of like a second Legal. generation like, of mm. stolen generation as well wow. with our kids still getting taken away. But So yeah. why are we reading... So we've got living proof yeah, of we, someone we, that... Uh, why are we reading and watching movies? Just like we should ask you. So I d- definitely there'll be more to come as, well, as see, you're willing to share. As I said, it was 1976. So yeah, yeah. That's a long time ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that means, means I'm a long time ago because I was born in 76. Not that long ago, guys. No. So Yeah. Wow. So there is... Like all these different stories. And then I think, did we touch on like the fair kids? The fair kids that looked non-Aboriginal were then sent away to England and places like this adopted out to white families. So then, you know, we're we're talking about that with them coming back and discovering who they are and their connection. But sometimes they've got here too late that their parents have actually passed away. So they have no idea about their history and they're just playing catch up today. So, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of hurt and trauma that we have to bathe our people through at the moment with mm. with that and you know my nan's passed away now which I didn't get a lot of her stories but I hear from other elders sharing their stories and they're really similar so I kind of get a gist of what you know would have happened to nan in there as well but nan never talked about it because it wasn't something you did not a lot of our forefathers didn't or for you know, four mothers didn't because it was too hurtful. The fear was you don't say anything out of this place, you know. I would love so to So it actually more. was very traumatic. Yeah. But there's elders out there starting to share their story about, you know, we, we've got access to some of those elders. We can, you know, ring them up one night and have a yarn because 
I work with one that actually shares a lot of her story about her stolen generation journey and she's amazing. She's an artist now and, you know, she's turned her life around from not having or thinking about that traumatic experience even though, you know, it it happened but she's just built something for herself to, you know, go forward with and and her kids and, you know, everything like that. So... There's some really nice stories out there too. That would be incredible to hear from some other first-hand accounts of people that would be willing to share. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. No, we've got access to them, so anytime. But my next book, I'm a bit of an environmentalist and I'm very wary of my surroundings and things like that. And Mm. I love this one. I picked it up when I was in conservation land management. It's by Tim Flannery, if people know who he is. Um, We're the Weathermakers and... God, this stuff just is heart-wrenching too. Like I was reading about the polar bears and the ice cap melting and these poor bears have to swim 60 k's to get to icy cold water. Oh, my God. I know. And because 60 k's is not just down the road, these poor polar bears get exhausted because they have to swim and they die. So we're actually losing a lot of our animals and a lot of our, um, you know, environment that's supposed to be there, like these icy caps is for them they live on that and if they don't they die because their body warms up so um you know we've got a lot to think about out there you know just get out of our comfort zone and see what is going on in the environment watch the birds watch the ants you know what are they doing obviously that's the signs and our people were very cluey and observant on that so we are watching birds fly we are watching the ants you know doing what they're doing and the bees and everything else like everything has its place in this place that we all should be observing what we're doing so I think people just need to take you know the the lens off and have a look what's going on but this is a really really good book to really get your head around climate change and stuff and you know we were talking about Jilber and you were asking me questions and one of the things that strikes for me is when I'm out on country and I'm looking is I can see the indicators and that's how you tell you're moving to season to season. So you're mm. watching those birds or you're watching those bees. Are you watching those flowers change colour? So mm. that's the indicators we have to watch for. And the animals are the indicators. That's right. We've got to see what they're doing, their behaviours. Wow. And if we don't look after country, we're going to slowly get, you know, our bees are going to go and our wasps and they play a really important role, you know, with pollinating and, and doing things as well. So... I've noticed that in the last probably couple of years with the the seasons changing and things like that. Like I'm very observant. Um, like we lo- we watch for the trees to turn brown and then we know, huh, we've got to start walking to the river system because guess what? The fish are running. Oh, wow. So that's an indicator as well is you're always watching to see what's going on mm. and then you know to walk the next season. So, see, a lot of people were posting up about Jilba, but they were still looking at the Western calendar and going, oh, Jilba's August, September. And I'm like, no, 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 (laughs) not yet. That's right. So, we were watching. I was watching for the indicators. Because as the climate changes. I wasn't watching for, oh, 1st of August, we're going to change. I was watching for the indicators. My indicator in this season is those she-oaks that turn brown. That was the next change of season for me. Right, because as climate change happens, the months might change. So we can't go by, you know, the days or the maths or whatever it is in our Western adaptation. Oh, wow. That's right. Sandra's just showing us a picture of what must be a young Sandra. Aww. <laughs> and who are those people with you in the picture? Just people. 
<laughs> just people. Just people. Okay. It's all about me. <laughs> Do you want to talk about how old you were, what you were up to at that time? <laughs> That's how old you were. I was six. We could put all these all these ages together. I was six. You were six. Well, 1976, born in 1970. Of course, yeah. So I was six. I was in grade one. Wow. So that was after you'd been taken from your family, yeah. is it? At what age were you then? When when you were six. T- you were six, okay, in first grade. Yeah. Wow. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Okay, we won't go there. But you were really cute as a six-year-old, I must say. <laughs> Don't tell <laughs> her that. Adorable. It's all about her. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, that, that book sounds fantastic. Um, we've definitely covered Good a lot of Good resources to keep in yeah. your um, library, aren't they? We are the weather And we makers. might do that because I've got heaps of books. So every yeah. week we might just come and bring a couple in and say, hey, get these in your shelf. They might not exist around anymore because, as I said, I'm, I'm sure I think we might have got that from an op shop or some of them they don't print anymore as well. So I don't know about that one, but we can find out. Mm. Nice. Um, we got a song lined up? We might do. Awesome. Okay, what we're gonna do now? Let's do it. Who let's are we go, listening to? Let's go back to um, Lionel Rose. Your voice, your community station. You are listening to IPL Radio. And we're back with Buja Dreaming. You're with LJ, um, Sandra, and Marissa here. Hi, hope everyone's enjoying all the music out there and the information that we're sharing on our show. If you are, come and say good day. Um, I post it on my Facebook page. Um, so yeah, make a comment, make a, a request if you are listening. Um, yes. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, girls, I'm just thinking, what are we doing? Um, am I doing this? Yeah, we have special guests with us today. We have um, artist Julianne Wade here. Um, hi Julianne, how are you doing tonight? Oh, uh, good, are you yeah. We are Fabo. Great. So we talked a little bit about your event last week. Um, well, not your event per se, but you're involved in an event. Tell us a little bit about it. Like, what's your role in there? Oh, so the, um, the Friends of the um, Arts Inclusive um, Resource um, Exhibition for Wild yes. and Free. Wild and Free, yeah. Yeah, that's for um, it's for the um, mental health um, mental health week um, that that is happening in October, um, and then um, um, approached me about because she likes organises the event and stuff, and so she approached me if I wanted to be like a lead artist um, for this year's um, Wild and Free um, uh, exhibition. Uh, being one to not decline a lot of opportunities, I thought it would be a nice way to to celebrate um, uh, Mental Health uh, Week as well. Um, And then, yeah, just to help support and um, get through uh, the organisation part. So there's a fair bit of the work that um, they've committed to. in conjunction before the um, event so it's like things like doing some of the interviews and being part of the selection panel um, which was very exciting uh, but very um, hard to do as well because they had so many applicants who uh, had amazing abilities as well um, that it's just um, hard to um, 
make a certain amount of um, artists that we wanted. So uh, we only want 25 artists um, because we've only got um, room for like 100 pieces. So um, for in our display area, um, there is um, the uh, whole week is filled with activities that we're all um, a part of as well. So I guess it starts. Um, on yeah, it's got here the eighth to the fifteenth of October. Yeah, to the fifteenth, yeah, of October. So um, the eighth of October, you've got the gala night, um, which is like the open night, and that's sort of a ticketed event for eighteen plus. Um, it's a Moulin Rouge thing. So, um, and then we've got Freya from Feast of Featherhorns um, doing the grazing cutters for that, um, and then we've got oh, nice. Carla. Me, who um, does all these amazing acrobatics and dances with fires and stuff like that. Um, on Sunday uh, the 9th, we've got the um, Arts Appreciation Afternoon. Um, so that's another, again, ticket event. On Monday the 10th, we've got the um, Mindfulness Workshops um, led by Sunil at um, to, I think he's from um, Heart Place. Uh, Tuesday the 11th, we've got the Artist Talks. Um, Thursday the 13th, we've got the Children's Arts Workshops. So I'll definitely be hands-on on that. So um, just a, like a collective canvas. Um, so doing up a design and the story and just getting yeah, a lot of children involved, um, teaching culture through arts and storytelling. And then Friday the 14th, we've got a, a flow, a workshop for um, our youth, which is from the ages of 12 to 25 years old. And they get to enjoy uh, wood fire pizza and kombucha. Um, and then on the 15th, it's the closing sundowner. So it's just a wrap of the whole week and um, all the artists that were involved, all the teams that were behind it and um, everybody that came along. So yeah, it should be a really interesting week. Interesting That's and full amazing. on. Oh my god, yeah. you've got something going on every evening, every day, different yeah. ages. <laughs> You're covering everyone, which is amazing. Now, yeah. I've just seen something for next week. Uh, next Friday night at Piccadilly Theatre and Arcade. Oh, yes. So, um, that. that? I've got, um, I've opened up shop. Um, so it's called the Wajaka Just, um, collective um, because it's just about you know supporting um, emerging artists and people that do markets and people that want to sort of have a bit of support going into the next um, step of their, their careers um, so uh, the city of Perth um, and activate Perth have a program where you can try a pop-up shop for three or six months um, at a discounted rate um, so we've gone for the six months at least um, at a discounted rate. And I thought I'd do it as a bit of a collective. So we've got a fair few artists that have um, been really excited to um, come on board. And we're hoping to use that place as a workshop place um, right in the heart of sea. So we'll be doing platterboards and um, making jewelry and um, canvas painting and yeah anything and everything basket weaving um yeah anything really um and then it's also a place where you can do some a bit of shopping as well um the people that have been in there have um likened it to a gallery space um or an art market like um 
uh, boutique uh, gift, gift fair place as well. So there's a lot of art um, on display that um, is available for purchase. There's a lot of um, things that people have made as well that's available for purchase. Um, artists have um, invited to come into the shop as well. So it's in a, a place where you'll be able to go and buy and support local businesses and artists yeah. and actually meet the makers, um, which I, I actually love that they're part of um, being able to meet audience and stuff like that. So um, and get the real stories behind the art and answer all those questions that they might have. Um, yeah, we've only been in there for three weeks now. So two weeks we've been setting up and you know, just uh, getting um, people on board. And then the first week was uh, this week. Um, and it's just getting popular. Like, of course, easy, easy. you are popular. You lose your time. Like, <laughs> you get there at 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and then you blink your eyes and it's like 5.30 already. Wow. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, if everyone's just coming in for a bit of a yarn and um, they're supporting us as well. Um, and they just, yeah, have, they just love the idea of actually being able to meet local artists and makers and creators and people that are passionate about what they do. Um, yeah, in that space. That is definitely so, something to check out. And Julianne, for those of um, our audience who aren't local, how can they view your art or make a purchase? Yeah. Um, so I guess you can go on the website, um, which is uh, Um Otherwise, just reach and send a message and stuff like that. So um, just this afternoon, I've had somebody reach out um, and just ask if we can send some baskets over to Manila, over in the Philippines. And so I said, yeah, that could be done. And then I said, I'll do it by DHL because that's who I trust and stuff like that. And I just got to get a quote. And he said, excellent, great. Sign me up for like 10 baskets. So wow. <laughs> um, we can ship overseas. And this week we've seen a lot of tourists because there's a lot of tourists coming into WA. And um, they've been lifting things up to see if they can take it back home and stuff like that. So uh, some interesting conversations there. Um, but we do post that a lot of stuff that as well online and um yeah but we're trying to just get people into the city and you know come down into that space and support it as well so and so i just noticed is that part of activate perth that is part oh, of activate perth. yeah yeah so they've been supporting you with the space and having you have the pop-up shop yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, a few months back, um, De uh, Rebecca from Deadly Denim um, actually popped up in the same place, but she had the bigger shop just on the closer to the street. Uh, that one's not available at the moment, but um, yeah, this workshop space opposite the coffee shop <laughs> was nice. perfect so for me. And did you say you were in Piccadilly Arcade? Is that where you're? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Piccadilly Arcade. Um, yeah, right opposite the SRO coffee um, and by the barbers and the hairdressers. <laughs> so um, so it's kind of neat. Grab our barbers, get our hair cut and then come and see you and buy painting. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the plan. <laughs> it looks so. like on your website that you do a lot of um, like prints on textiles. Is that like sort of what you specialise so I do a lot of things actually. So I do a lot of prints. I do a lot of wall art prints and that's mainly for my international market. So um, at the moment I've got a lot of people um, in Las Vegas where I exhibited just recently. 
Um, I've exhibited over in London as well, and we've got a lot of wall art um, people coming on board with those. We've got Emily Ziz, um, who is a Sydney Melbourne designer, and she's um, taken my art and put it on wallpaper um, and for display units and stuff. So um, we've got um, Minus Art, who... Um, work in Australia and the New Zealand markets um, and they do um, pop-up shops and uh, sell, resell my prints and stuff like that. So uh, they're all contracted and they're all like uh, uh, businesses that I totally support um, because they're just legit with everything else and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I guess it's one of those tricky ones. You you don't really want to go into licensing, but when you do go into it, you sort of, you know, got to understand who who you can support and who you can't and stuff like that. So, uh, the people that I have on my website under my licensing are the people that um, I totally trust and um, support. Yeah. Fantastic. I want to hear a bit more. I'm just really intrigued by some of these prints. Um, what has inspired your art? Uh, do you have an inspiration? Um, yeah, so I guess it's just um, when I do a piece of art, I guess it's through uh, something that I've seen or something that I've been through and um, something that really inspires me and stuff like that. It could be a walk out in nature and having a moment with a jitty jitty or, um, you know, so eating corn dogs or something like that or planting seeds or um, spending time with your, you know, your mum and your aunties and stuff like that. So... Um, or going for um, a beach walk and stuff like that. And you might have just been motivated and inspired by the beach and the sound of the waves. And um, I try to keep it um, the same as I do in my workshops where it's sort of very simple but sort of meaningful. And then just try and start with an easy sort of base and then sort of build it up as you go. So. Fantastic. Did you, um, learn, did you learn art or take art classes growing up or what sort of led you on this path where you sort of had this moment where you realized, ah, this is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is a part of my purpose. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a bit of an interesting one. So I was actually in education about three years ago and I, I loved education. Um, I was there for about 25 years. Um, started in early childhood and then went to primary school and stuff. Um, I loved uh, working with children and families and communities. And I just had a, a really awful experience, I guess, in, in my last year of working in education that sort of got me thinking about changing my career direction a little bit. Um, so then I took a, about a year off and I uh, was going to find something that I was wanting to do that, you know, gave me just as much joy as education. And um, I started going to the workshops. I think I went to a few of Marissa's uh, workshops there too. Um, and sure a few, few others. Um, and I just got and really inspired. I poached you. I poached you and pinched you to come and work with me. <laughs> yes, yes, you did. So I couldn't believe that as well. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. It's all about timing, isn't it? Because you just happen to fall in our way when we needed you most as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. So, um, and then when I brought my first canvas um, to do my first painting, uh, it was a white canvas. It was from Riot Stores. And uh, 
I thought, oh, yeah, just paint it black. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what to do after that. And so I painted it black and I just forgot. And it just had like a blankness. So then I tried to hide it from my husband from three and a half months <laughs> behind the cupboard, <laughs> as you do. Um, and then I was just um, with my friend Marilyn um, and we were out in Jinjin and looking at the stars and the um, the quiet, enjoying the quietness because, you know, sometimes when in the city you just get so distracted by all the noise and the pollution of lights and the bustle, hustle and bustle of life and living, um, that out there is just sort of really dark and you just focus all your energy on the stars and the, the environment around you, which is nature and being on country and stuff like that. So I was really inspired by a couple of the stories um, and the stars that I saw that night and um, came back and I thought I'd like to do something like that. So Three and a half weeks after that uh, visit, we um, I came up with the Seven Sisters design. Um, it's also a reference to Matariki, which is um, from New Zealand, and it um, resembles the Seven Sisters and the meaning of the purposes over there. Um, once it was finished, three days before it was finished, um, a guy in Melbourne approached me um, online and said, I'd love to buy it. And um, I was really shocked and stoked that somebody wanted to buy my piece of art. And so I didn't know anything about pricing. I didn't know much about selling art. And I just gave him a price that I was happy with. And then when he got it, he just said, no, it's worth much more. And he was just really honest and open about all that pricing and what to expect and had those conversations with me as well. I guess it's just about the timing and trusting, you know, just trusting um, the guides and stuff like that as well. Um, when he got it, he posted up and then straight away um, I had all my Paris and Switzerland and Germany come come on board uh, with commissions as well. So, um, yeah, that kept me busy for a little bit. And then um, I still do, like, commissions uh, to those countries as well and uh, to the collectors that I've got good relations with um, but yeah just now it's just expanded into workshops and um, public art um, I've got a water the sculpture recently um, opening the shop uh, to create a bit of a workspace and um, connect with other amazing um, emerging artists as well and um, yeah. I feel like I've seen your work before. I'm just having a browser to your website right now. And um, for those of our listeners who might not be familiar, you do these amazing colors that just pop in with sort of animals or plants. Ah, yeah. And there's such fun, you know, prints and such fun designs um, portraying nature and design and color. Um, I feel like I've seen your work in the Revealed Art Show. Did you, by chance, have some some of your paintings there in, in the Fremantle Arts uh, Centre? So I did. Um, I did um, a couple of years ago. I had a, a lizard in the, um, 
in the Revealed Art Exhibition. Um, and yeah, I just I found it because it's such a big um, event then for emerging artists as well. Um, that they give you like these workshops where you can understand your art, you can understand how the brand it, you can understand how to, you know, do your pricing and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that was a really good platform to, to learn from. Um, and then the following year, uh, oh no, that year, I think it was when COVID came in um, and everything went online. And I sort of said to them, I feel so like I was a bit, you know, robbed of all the public opportunities of being able to go to the open night and have the artist talks and meet the buyers and stuff like that. So uh, they invited me back for the, um, another year um, after COVID, uh, which was uh, this year. Um, I said yes, but then with the chaotic world that I live in at the moment, uh, I couldn't actually go through with it. So I actually said to them, I'd like to postpone to next year. So next year, um, I'll be exhibiting again. Um, and hopefully COVID can stay away and we'll be able to have those open nights and um, meet the buyers and meet the other artists and have the artist talks and stuff like that. So I think that's, um, for me, probably the, the most most valuable thing that, I, that, that it offers because um, it's when you meet those other people that are just as passionate as yourself that you get inspired and you learn things um, that you necessarily don't are not thinking about but um, yeah and you learn things about how people you know uh, deal with their art as well and stuff like that, and where their stories come from and um, about having that connection as well so Absolutely. yeah so yeah, that is fantastic. Well, I definitely can say that your pr your prints evoke a sense of just happiness mm. and joy and simplicity in in this viewer. And so I'm definitely stoked to check you out more. Um, for again, our listeners, that wild. If, uh, you can check out Julianne Wade. She's the feature artist at uh, Fair's event, Wild and Free. Um, and we look forward to seeing you there, Julianne. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we let you go? Um, not really. Um, just, yeah, enjoy and just support the event. Get, get on um, down to the event. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'll just share your email address just one more time for those of you who want to connect. Um, so that's Julianne Wade Waj Wajak Artist. Okay. Mm -hmm. .com.au Yes. Perfect. Perfect. And then if you're in the city, just come and speak a jelly and have a bit of a yarn with us and stuff. So, um, but yeah, no, just um, and enjoy your evening and um, spending time with your families and your loved ones. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Julie. Wonderful. Too much. Too much, Joke. Thank solid. you. So, too much is solid yoga, solid woman. Ah, amazing. Thank you, Julianne. Have a good evening. Bye. Thank Borda. you. Bye. Your voice. Your community station. You are listening to IPL Radio. So, Marissa. So, Sandra. What's going on? How cool was that to talk to Julianne and have her on the show and talk about her... Um, Event. It sounds She's interesting. Doing so well. I'm hoping to get to one of those days. That sounds awesome. I'd love to support her. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Supporting our brothers and sisters that are doing some good stuff out there. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And learning new stuff. Yeah, that's right. Now, have you got something coming up, Marissa? I sure do. You know me, I'm busy as a bee always. So I've been working with the Harvey CRC um, community. Absolutely fantastic down there. And we have put together a series of workshops. And I've got three coming up. And they're based on bush chucker and bush medicine because we feel that there's such a demand out there for this information. And I think people want to know what they can grab out of the bush to heal themselves. And, you know, that's how it was for us for a very long time. So it's nothing new. It is what I've been taught. So I'm giving that back because that's one of the requests from the elders to say, if you're going to have this knowledge, you need to re-share it on. You can't keep it yourself. So that's exactly what I do. So, if you go to my Facebook page, Bindi Bindi Dreaming, you'll scroll down a few little posts and you'll see my workshop. We've got three dates there. We've got the 17th of September, so this weekend. Exciting. We've got the 15th of October and the 19th of November. They So, there's two workshops. One runs from 9.30 to 12.30. The 9.30 to 12.30 is actually the Bush Tucker workshop. So, we actually cook our own feast. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, my so gosh. So, you come. You oh. learn about the herbs and spices. We learn how to infuse them. You cook yourself a feed that day. Oh, then it. we have a little bit of a break for lunch and then we get into our second workshop, which is from one to three, which is the bush medicine. So, it's actually quite a long day, but it's a long, fun day because you're just constantly learning about cultural, you know, knowledge from, from me. That I've been taught from the oldies. So, our first workshop we ran sold out. So, we're hoping that these three get sold out. We had a lot of people come across from Margaret River to join me and Harvey to do the workshop. So, um, you know, they'll come from anywhere. If you're in Collie, if you're in Margaret River, if you're in Bustleton, like this is open to you guys. You can come and join. Or you can actually travel down from Perth and come and join us as well. We had a few Perthies come down, but we had a lot of the local community there as well. So, um, you know, Harvey does some – they're really proactive down there. There's some really fantastic things. They've got Noongar language on, I think, Monday or Tuesday evenings with um, a local lady down there who teaches language. Um, What about under the Harvey Bridge? Oh, yes. The walking tour we did last year. Was it last year? Yes. So me and Sandra went down a couple of years ago and – They've got a really um, important waterways, river system that runs through the town and they were working on some Aboriginal interpretation panels with the Six Seasons and just under the bridge, just near the Harvey Visitor Centre, you can actually go and view the artwork. I can't remember the artist, the girl's name Um, that did the artwork. Oh, I got it. But it was fantastic, just under the bridge on the wall. Wow. So it's really nice that... You know, our country towns can embrace the local Aboriginal community to put some things into place. That sounds fantastic. So where can our listeners, obviously you haven't sold out yet, so do you have tickets for all three days available for your So event? you need to contact the Harvey CRC. As okay. I said, if you go to my Facebook page or if you go to Harvey CRC, you'll see the flyer. On there is a contact to contact the admin at Harvey. Okay. So there's a phone number there and there's also a email address you can hit them up any questions I've had lots of questions about kids I love kids on my workshops so bring them 
Just yes. check with Harvey CRC around the costs and the and the payment and stuff like that because obviously there is a cost to my workshop. It says ten dollars here. Um, That's so And if cheap. you feel like cooking, you bring your own apron and you dress up. You be Gosh. a part of it. That sounds fantastic. And your Facebook is Bendy Bendy Dreaming. Bendy Bendy Dreaming. If yes, oh, that sounds amazing. So you can I'm going to try out. to make it out if I can. Yeah, we'd yeah. love to. I'd love to learn more about the bush. So medicine. I kick it off this mm. Saturday, and then we've okay. got another couple of dates after that. So um, I'm not too sure if it is. I'm going to ring the centre tomorrow to see how our numbers are for this first one. And Harvey is my grandmother's country. Hey! Wow! Yeah, that's right. And the last time we visited, you found family there. Yeah, I found family down there. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you going to go too? Mm. Let's see. Maybe we'll see you there. Maybe we will. Maybe I'll go down. Okay. I like Harvey. You they do. Got cows. Like <laughs> Good day for a road and, trip. And if you go to Harvey, you can go to Brunswick as well. That's right. Brunswick is a beautiful little country town. And Collins not far too because you can go and see the Wellington Dam. Mm. Amazing. And the Harvey stuff. Dam. We went and seen that last time Harvey we were down. Dam. That's really good. It's not bad, Harvey, because there's a few little country towns and little things that you can go wandering around and have a really good sticky beak down there. Ah, oh, fantastic. We're just looking at the map here. That looks like a perfect road trip um, for anyone Oh, interested. it is. Yeah. Harvey's only like an hour, an hour and a half away. Yeah, it's perfect. not far, people. Come and see us. Okay, I've got another event coming up in a couple of days, actually on Tuesday, Metro Nets Cultural Awareness Training 101. So we were talking just a little bit about um, touching a little on that tonight. Um, and so that's 9 to 4 p.m. and it's at 140 William Street in Perth. So it's right downtown. A full day of cultural learnings with respected Noongar educator Dennis Simmons. And ah, Dennis, yeah. our old mate. Awesome. And That's where he facilitator is. Mary Lee Liddell. Ah. Okay. Uh-huh. I've done a couple of catering gigs for Dennis ah. at his cross-cultural awareness workshops. So yeah. awesome. So we'll be talking about history, colonization, government policies, stolen generation, timeline of it, events, culture, dreaming and spirituality, country and kinship, language, lore, and on and on and on. So a full day chock full of... Um, experience and it's totally free so that's a free event amazing yeah it's a free event that is hard to come by it we usually charge a fee but free it's incredible so awesome. yeah um definitely check it out um yeah general Book it in. Is, general admission is free so just checking out where you can buy tickets uh da, 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 da. so you can buy tickets on this website um on allevents.inperth.com.au and absolutely worth some, something checking out. For sure. Can. Dennis is amazing. He has really amazing family connection and he just knows his stuff. He's amazing. Yep. You'll be kicking yourself if you don't get along to that workshop, for sure. Yeah, I'll be working, unfortunately. Oh, so, when, what day is it again? That's just Saturday. Tuesday. That's Tuesday. Yeah, no, it's Tuesday of all days. So oh, yeah. September 13th, it's just coming up. So it is, yeah. Hopefully, maybe they can, I don't know, do like a live stream or tape it or something like that, because that would be worth checking out, for sure. Yeah, no, if it's a private event, they won't live stream. You need to get to it. Now, Marissa, I think you have a request. We someone. sure do. We'd like to say a big kaya to Francis, who listened last week and this week. So thank you so much for tuning in Hi. to kaya our listener. Francis. And guess what? Sa- oh, I just had where Francis is tuning in from. 
what did I do with her little message? So Frances is tuning in from the wheat belt. Amazing. So this is how good digital is, isn't it? You can just click on that website, check in, listen, boom, and you're listening to us. So I'm so hoping accessible. that people that are following me on my Facebook page clicked on that and are listening. So what request have we got for our beautiful uh, The best by Tina Turner. Beautiful. Your voice. Your community station. You are listening to IPL Radio. So you've got Sandra, LJ and Marissa. We've enjoyed our Sunday night. I hope you've enjoyed your Sunday night with us. Mm. And to everybody who's listened, hope we've played some good tunes for you. Um, and had some good conversations and we've had a, um, a guest on our show too. It's hard to say that Julianne's a guest, <laughs> but <laughs> our guest Julianne, um, and I hope we've given you some information that you've enjoyed and like listening to. We look forward to doing it all over again next week for you, so definitely stay tuned. We're here every Sunday evening, Budja Dreaming on Inspire Passionate Lives Radio with um, our program and, you know, with some wonderful conversations. 6 to 9 p.m. And as we say, if you've got some requests, we'll be happy to play them. If not, we forgot to. Um, but that will be next week. So if you know myself, Marissa or LJ, just send them through. And we'll be glad to play them for you next week. Hope so what are, what are we going out with, Sam? We're going out with Adele just for you. Oh, beautiful. Aww. Love Adele. I've seen her twice, you know. <laughs> That's how we're playing her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope everybody enjoys their week. We've got Nathan coming up next. Sure do. Young Nat. We all remember his name. Young Nat. Young Nat. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, hopefully everybody have a safe week. We'll see you next week. Thank Order. you very much. Order. Order.